0: So we make judgments every single day, probably every hour of every day, probably every second of every hour of every day. We're making some kind of judgment, a snap judgment, a final judgment, an unfair judgment. Whatever it may be, we are making judgments constantly. We are making judgments about the food we should eat, the clothes we should wear, The cars we should drive, the houses we should live in. Even bigger decisions than that, we're making judgments all over the place. And then, these judgments aren't just about ourselves. We don't like to talk about it, but from time to time, maybe we step over the line and we make a judgment or two here or there about somebody else. Maybe about what they drive. What kind of house they live in, what they eat, what they chose to wear to church in front of everybody. <laughs> like we make these judgments about people and others all the time. I, I'll put it to you this way so when I was, when we were married and we didn't have kids yet, so maybe some of you out there that you're, you know, you're newly married. Uh, or even single people, you, you're not married yet, but you want to have kids one day. Don't fall into the trap that I did. I was a never parent. No, that's not like a Peter Pan. We know they didn't have parents. That was the whole thing. But I was a never parent. I'm never going to do that when I have a kid. I'm never going to put them in front of an iPad. I'm never going to feed them unhealthy things. Yeah, that was a joke. I'm never going to do these certain things with my kids. And then, all of a sudden, in a moment, not a moment, it was a lifetime, Like you fall into this weakness like it's five hours of, of Disney Junior, Doc McStuffins, just sit out. Here's your 18th Chicken McNugget, just have it! I think the most intense example is this, before I had a kid, I heard stories of people that would shake their babies because they were so like frustrated or angry or upset and i sat on my high throne without a child and said how dare they i said how how could you do that such an innocent defenseless poor beautiful cute little creature how could we do that and then and then i had my own kid and Four weeks into his life, and I'm, I'm not exaggerating, I think my wife and I had a collective amount of sleep over four weeks of like 18 hours. Because he, he had colic, he, he would not sleep. When he was awake, he screamed and cried. And, and it, was, it was miserable. And I remember again in one of those Disney Junior binges, Sheriff Callie, I couldn't take it! And I'm holding him in front of the TV and I'm like, just watch this. I know, you don't, I know you don't get it, you're four weeks old, but it's a cartoon cat. You're supposed to enjoy this. And I'm staring at him and I'm going, shh, but as loud as I can to a baby. They don't know what, I'm, what that means. And I remember having four simultaneous thoughts in this moment. The first one was, I totally get why people would shake a baby. Two, I'm totally going to shake this baby. (laughs) Three, I better put this baby down and walk away or I'm going to shake this baby. So then I do it and the fourth thought was, I still kind of want to shake that baby. (laughs) But see, here was my problem because we all judge. But my problem was, is I judged other people based off of circumstances I had never walked in. I judged as if I knew better than someone that had walked through these circumstances. And how often is it us that fall into that category? How often is it us that make that kind of a mistake? We judge people not knowing what they're walking through or what they're going through. And don't get me wrong, there's a biblical precedent for judging, but it doesn't look the way that we tend to have it look. I think we have to ask some very deep questions. Do we ever take time to examine our internal motives and intentions, the internal motives and intentions that drive us to judge others as harshly or as leniently as we would judge ourselves? And when we do step out in judgment of others, are we doing so biblically? Do we allow our emotions and hurt feelings to shape our judgment of others? Or do we walk things out the way God intends? I want us to look at that this morning as we take on the issue of judgment. And we begin to look at what it looks like to guard our hearts Against it. So, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter seven. That's going to be a a beginning chunk of where we stay this morning. But before we, or as you're doing that, first and foremost, welcome Silive Church. How are we doing this morning? So excited to be with you. Hey, here's something incredibly crazy that you probably do not know. Each and every week, we have over 500 people join us online. It's, so that's the same amount that's in this service right now, but online. I think that's awesome. It's like this digital like, lobby and digital church. It's amazing. So we love you guys. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, Mom. So as we get here, and for those that don't know, my name's Chad Minchu. I'm the worship pastor here at Life. And if you're going, hey, what kind of a message could a worship pastor give? Like, Don't judge me. Here we go. <laughs> Remember. We are looking at this through the lens of a debt and debtor relationship. So, what does that mean? In the context of judgment, here's what I'm presenting that it means. Judgment says to the other person, you are not worth it. So, if greed says that I owe me, and anger says you owe me, I'm proposing that judgment says, you are not worth it. This is us speaking to someone else in our lives that we're judging. And we can move that blank and fill it in with different it's, if you will. Because we fill that blank in with whatever attribute we believe someone else is unworthy of. It could be time, it could be attention, it could be understanding, it could be accountability, it could be mercy, even love. But here's what I'm proposing to all of us this morning. I believe that the ultimate source of our judgment comes from our lack of grace for others. I believe that the ultimate source of our judgment comes from our lack of grace for others. And I believe that as we walk through these passages this morning, we will land in a spot that reveals Grace is what breaks the power of judgment in our hearts, and grace is what we can use to guard our hearts against it. So again, Matthew 7, Jesus gives us a very, very clear picture of what it looks like and the consequences of withholding grace from others as we judge. And and here's the deal, it's really not a small thing. You might have heard this verse before, whether you've been in church or not. This is a heavily quoted verse. So Matthew 7, this is the, towards the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Here we go, Matthew 7. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Just by a show of hands. How many of you have heard that before? Come on. This is not TV. I can see you. Yep. Yeah, like almost everybody. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And... With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, here's what I believe Jesus is saying to us in this. When we judge, we need to recognize that we will also be judged and we need to know that it isn't without consequence. We don't get to just present a judgment to someone else and let it be and have nothing else happen. When we present a judgment on someone else, then God says, okay, that's how you would choose to be judged. So what does this look like in your own life? And that can be incredibly intense. I think the other thing that Jesus is saying in this passage is, however we choose to judge others, Whatever qualifications or expectations we put on them, however harsh or intense, those same kinds of qualifications and expectations are then going to be put back on us. But again, the intense part of this to me is that who is the one then holding us accountable? God is. So we've given him these parameters, these standards that we say we want to hold somebody else to, and God says, okay, then you have to be held to them as well. And I think that we have to, I'll be honest with you from my vantage point. At first, I hear this and I go, yes, this is awesome. Here's why. Because in my messed up head, I'm like, that means that everybody else has got to raise their bar to my level. They've got to come up to where I'm at. Because I've got crazy high expectations in my head. For those that know the Enneagram, I am like prototypical one. For those that think it's of the devil, don't judge people. Like, just calm down. (laughs) But the thing is, is that I have these high expectations. And so I'm going, yes, God, this is awesome. Like, yeah, hold them and hold them. And then all of a sudden, the light gets turned back on me. And I'm going, yeah! Oh, this is hard. I can't reach that. I can't get a, I, I set this still. I can't... I never could get there. And then all of a sudden, I'm in a position of begging for God's grace and His mercy in those seasons and those situations. So it's a little bit of be careful what we wish for because we just might get it. I think one of the harder parts for me too is, in this, I'm a big fairness guy. Something doesn't appear fair, I'm going to call it out. I'm going to mention it. I was the kid when, whenever, when we were all little, if we were all hanging out on the playground, and somebody did something that wasn't wasn't fair, I would have been the kid go, "That's not fair." That would have been me. I would have, no, that's not fair. Like, I would have tried to figure out how to make it fair in that moment. But if we look at fairness in the context of the gospel and in the context of the grace and mercy that's been extended to us, the last thing that I want is fairness. Because here's how this plays out. If I ask, I say, God, give me the fairness by the way that I judge it. Use my fairness metrics to help me achieve what, salvation would look like. And God says, okay, fine. And I'm already done for because I could never repay the debt that was paid on my behalf. I could never do it. The part at the beginning, that is incredibly flawed, is that I would ever believe or think that my metrics of measuring things are greater than God's way of measuring things, with His love and with His mercy. I think the other part of it is, is that I'm quickly reminded in context of the gospel that when I do that, I am, I am forgetting the immense amount of grace that's been extended to me, the immense amount of love that has been extended to me, despite not earning it, despite not deserving it. And so then, am I willing to extend that kind of grace to others? Not because they've deserved it or earned it, but because that's what God is calling me to do. Moving on to verse 3. Jesus says this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? Here we go. Verse 5. You hypocrite. That's how I hear it. Probably not how you said it, but that feels pretty good. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus is telling us in this we have to be aware of our natural tendencies to judge other people. We have to be aware of our natural tendencies to look past our own faults and point out the faults in others. It's part of our brokenness. It's part of the reason why we need grace in the first place. And I think he was very intentional about using this illustration of a piece of sawdust and a plank. Because let's look at it practically. If you have a piece of sawdust in your eye, and I have a giant plank in mine, how in the world, logistically, how in the world am I going to be able to see that speck of sawdust in your eye? Unfortunately, if I'm honest with myself, the answer is it's because I'm looking for it. It's because I'm trying to find a fault in you. And I would much rather find a fault in you so that I can make this plank in my eye feel a little bit better. I think there's another reason why he uses this illustration of sawdust and a, and a, and a plank, because they're both made up of the same things. It's both particles of wood, but a sawdust, at, even at certain points, can be microscopic. Like, it's so tiny and small. But if you put a million of them together and you compress them, What does it become? It becomes a plank. And so, whereas this one person may be stumbling in this small area, this other person with the plank in their eye clearly has some issues to work out. But Jesus in this passage is not saying that we have to be perfect to help others. He's not saying that we have to have it all together to be able to encourage and build each other up. Because again, looking at it practically, when we remove the plank from our own eye, what takes place? There's still a wound. There's still healing that needs to take place for us to be fully restored. But in the healing, as we are getting better... We are able to help the person next to us to pull the sawdust out of their eye. We don't have to have it perfect. We don't have to have it all together. Because, spoiler alert, we never will. And when we look at this in the context of discipleship, we don't wait until we become perfect Christians to turn around and go disciple someone. If we did that, there would be no discipleship. Because there was only one perfect Christian. And some of you are going, yeah, it was my grandma. She was awesome. (laughs) But see, there was only one perfect example. And in discipleship, it's not about being perfect. What it's about is building relationship and building trust with someone who can tell you hard things in truth for your benefit. For your benefit. I think the other thing is, is that if we have the willingness, if we display to others around us the willingness to actually pull the plank out of our own eye, or to hear that there is a plank in our eye, that we have shortcomings, that we have failings, I believe what Jesus is also saying, it gains us the credibility to be able to step in and help someone with the problems that they are walking through. Because we're not faking it like we have it all together. We know where we failed, we've asked for forgiveness, and in humility and encouragement and grace, we want to help those around us who also stumble. I think the last little bit on this is we get to a point where we have these plank issues in our lives, but when we walk through them and we have the time to heal from them, what it does give us is wisdom. We've walked through things. We've navigated situations. And Jesus is saying, like, this is the kind of credibility that you bring to helping others. But you have to have the humility to see your faults and heal them and work past them. Verse 6, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Church, I have to be honest. When I first heard this verse a way long time ago, I had no clue what the heck this meant. I had no idea. I was like, why are we giving stuff to dogs? They tear up stuff all the time. That's all they do in my house. I mean, in in people's houses. (laughs) I didn't understand what was being said. But here's what Jesus is walking us through. And, And I really do think that if we understand this verse, it's a critical piece in understanding the power of accountability at the right time. Because if we know that a person is not in a place to hear truth, and we do it anyway, we need to be prepared to experience the consequences. Because see, in some ways, to some degree, it's a little bit of a waste of our spiritual resources to try and help someone that does not believe they need it yet. I'll put it to you this way. Early on uh, in Alyssa and I's marriage, she would come home and she would have really frustrating situations at work. And a part of me was like very frustrated with her. And another part of me was like super excited because it was like the young and the restless, but like in the house. And I was like, this is all right. This is real. And then like some of it was like a little bit of live PD mixed in and like, this is awesome. Like, let's fix this. But that was the problem, is that she would share, she would talk about, man, this this lady did this, and this is how it hurt me, and this is how it bothered me, And, and she went through all these different things, and before she could even finish, I would go, and here's what you do, you gotta do this, and then after you do this, if you don't do this, then you're gonna miss out on this, but if you do this to her, oh man, that's gonna be awesome, I can't wait to hear what happens. And she would just look at me like I'm crazy, which, understandably so, for many reasons, but I had lost sight of what was really happening in that moment. She didn't need me to fix anything. In fact, it probably revealed more about me that I didn't think that she could fix it on her own. But would I take the time to ask the question, and thank goodness we've gotten better at it over the years, when those kinds of things come up, I ask, hey, what do you need from me? And sometimes it's, I just want you to listen. Okay. Those are the harder times for me. <laughs> but I'm getting better. Because I just want to help. And then there's other times where she's like, yes, like, I'd love your advice. And I'm like, sweet. I can't wait. Live PD. So, We don't need to spend our time fighting to convince someone of something they don't want. Our part is to walk alongside them graciously. Because, see, the Holy Spirit, his part, he is the one that will convict them. And he will reveal to them that they know in that moment that they need the thing that we have walked alongside them graciously about. And I think that we see this pretty clearly evidenced if you want to hop over to 1 Corinthians 5. See, we actually see that believers and non-believers are not supposed to be held to the same standard. And, And I know that that was a big learning thing for me over this past week. We have to understand that it's not the same standard. And so Paul breaks it down and he helps us to understand what God's intent is. And so Paul is writing to Corinth. It was a church at the time, and there was a bunch of rough stuff happening. And so Paul is writing to the church in Corinth to help them correct some abuses and help them correct some things that were going super wrong. Specifically here in chapter five, there was a guy who was sleeping with his stepmother. And the church he was doing this in front of the church, and the church was doing nothing about it. And so Paul says, Dear Corinth, And he sends this letter. And we jump down to verse 11. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? So keep that phrase. Remember that part. And then he goes on to say, Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside, expel the wicked person from among you. So Paul is helping us to understand that there is a differentiation that we need to make. Our part with non believers is not to judge them. Yet, if we were to ask a group of non believers, I think that that might be the only description that they would give of us at times. And I say that in the context of the global church. We're so ready to step out in judgment. But again, it's because we lose sight of what God has done for us. The grace that he has extended to us, It really is a scenario of they don't know what they don't know. A non-believer doesn't know the standards by which Jesus is holding us to. And so our job is to live it out so they see it and desire it. And then once they come into relationship with him, we walk alongside them and hold them lovingly and graciously accountable. That's our part. That's how God has designed it. But see, with believers, Paul says it's a little bit different. And you might be going, Chad, it doesn't sound very graceful to not eat with this guy. It doesn't sound very graceful to kick this guy out of community. But see, that's not what God is explaining to us. That's not what he's sharing with us in this passage. There's a practicality to it, yes. But as believers, we are held to a higher standard. It's just the truth. We're held to a higher standard. And in that standard, we are to hold each other accountable. But we don't separate the grace and love from the accountability. If, if you've uh, here's, here's the thing. I think the problem with it is this. It's not that we don't know what needs to be done. I think we're really good, whether it's outside or inside Uh, the body of believers, I think we're really good at knowing what to do. We can judge with the best of them. I'll make it an I statement. I can judge with the best of them. The what is not the problem. It's the how. It's the how we judge. And to me, this is where I see repeatedly in church and in people and in people in church we fail to walk out the pathway that Jesus set before us in navigating biblical conflict and then even when the box of biblical conflict gets checked it typically lacks humility or authenticity and most importantly it lacks grace so Matthew 18:15 through 17 that's our biblical precedent for how we navigate and walk out conflict Here, relational conflict here at Silife Church. And it says this if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Just between the two of you. So that doesn't mean go to 17 other people and tell them how much it hurt you and build up an army against this one person without them even knowing. We could spend a whole week on gossip. That's not, what, that's not what Jesus is asking us in this passage. He's saying, go to that person directly, the person that has offended you. Walk it out with them. And it says this, if they listen to you, you have won them over. Who doesn't want to win someone over? But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I view this as bringing a mediator into some situations. There's wisdom if you don't feel safe in confronting someone with a deep hurt to bring someone alongside. And scripture backs that up as wisdom. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector which is why I wanted to carve out some time this morning. We're actually going to bring some people up, volunteers. You're just going to tell it to the... Nah, nobody wants to do that. I'm just kidding. That'd be weird a little bit, but I do think that there's a part of this where we have to understand what Jesus is asking of us is that we also need to be willing to be held accountable. That's another descriptor of a mature believer, is that we're not trying to shy away from the accountability that we have earned on our own. But once again, the crux of all of this is that we have to measure our motives and we have to walk this out. As Paul says in another letter in Galatians, we have to walk it out gently. We need to be able to walk these conversations out with grace. Because another truth is the right thing done with the wrong intention is still wrong. And I'm sure that you've met these people or you've experienced these people or you may even be these people that when something hard or difficult happens, like you just like yell out the thing. And you're just like, man, I'm just a truth teller. I just say it how it is. You know, the truth hurts sometimes. You know, I just wanted to give you some tough love. And it feels a little bit like their relational equivalent, it's like a Ricky Bobby principle. That's what it feels like. It's like, hey, with all due respect, I think you're kind of fat and stupid. Hang on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I said with all due respect. Right? With all due respect, I think that's a pretty ugly baby. Come on, man. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I said with all due respect. Like it feels like this relational equivalent of that because here's what it loses sight of. It loses sight of the fact that hard truths can be heard in deep relationship. Hard truths can be heard in deep relationship because the other person that is sitting across from you, you know that you can trust them and you know that they love you. And you know that what they are speaking to you is valuable to you because they would care enough to say the hard thing. I'll share this as an aside because I do really think that it's relevant in this conversation. I would ask that we as a people try to grow and mature in, our, in the area of being offended. Here's what I specifically mean. I would say that we shouldn't pearl clutch every little thing that goes wrong. Even in how people handle things. Even in how people walk stuff out. Because that really does reveal that we have an expectation that our hurt is justified when someone else isn't perfect. But then if we're never perfect, they're justified in how they feel towards us. And that's just not how God operates. And I think the big thing is, is in that moment, when we choose to hold on to our offense as opposed to lean in to having what I would consider biblical resolution instead of biblical conflict, I think what's happening is either momentarily or completely, we lose sight of the gospel because the gospel is the story of you experiencing separation Me experiencing separation from God for eternity because of the things that I've done. But in his grace, I am reconciled back to him, not because of my actions, but because simply he loves me and it's who he is. And so if God's willing to extend that grace to me, I have to be willing to extend that grace to others. I'll share a couple more things and then we'll close this morning. We had a, a meeting last Thursday as a staff, and then this, this passage came up again uh, at our worship team retreat over this past weekend. And it's 1 Corinthians 12 12 through 20. This is where Paul's talking about many parts of the body and how the different parts of the body equal up to God's design, God's plan, God's intention. And how we don't have 37 ears and two feet. Like the way that God has put these things together, he has made everything incredibly unique. And it's his design. And as I was walking through this and thinking through this in the context of judgment and grace, this, this is kind of a couple of takeaways for me. Verse 18 says it this way, it says, God has placed the parts in the body and he is the one that has brought the body together by his design. So then, who am I to decide how good or perfect of an ear he has made, especially when I'm afoot? If I judge an ear by how great of a foot it is, then of course I'm going to walk away frustrated and disappointed with its abilities. But I have to realize two things in this. First, I'm prideful because I have no right to question God's ability to build an ear that meets my foot-based qualifications. And secondly, I should probably take that time that I spend on judging how good or bad that ear is and spend it on becoming the foot that God has designed me to be. So on your handouts that you got as you walked in, there's some, there's some statements. And my hope is, is that these might be next steps for you or encouragements for you as you examine and figure out where is it that judgment has lodged itself. And, and these are next steps to help you guard your heart against what judgment can do and really to experience the true grace of the gospel. So the first one is this. Extend the grace that's been extended to you by Jesus, not by others. How often can we get caught up in keeping score? I know I can. And so in lieu of keeping score or worrying about that fairness that we talked about earlier, I should measure the amount of grace that I extend, not by the grace that I receive from others, but by the grace that Jesus extends to me each and every day. Secondly, pray for healing from unhealthy mindsets, biases, and habits toward yourself and others. I am a big proponent, a true believer that our internal, mental, emotional, spiritual health determines how and the capacity for which we can care for those around us. If I am constantly on edge, if I am constantly drained, if I am constantly hurting, then I am going to have a higher potential to hurt those around me. And so my encouragement would be, like, prayer is a non-negotiable. It has to be a starting point and an ending point. But there are some times in our lives where we need more. Because the type of unhealth that we've experienced in our upbringing, in our traumas, it's bigger than what we can heal on our own. And God shows up and answers our prayers in the ways in which he provides opportunities for us to get healing. So it may look like attending CR on a Tuesday night for you. It may, you may look like me and you need counseling. You need to walk through some intense traumas and hurts so that you can have the true health to be on the other side of some of these intense things. And I would encourage you, do not wait. Tomorrow is too late. Tomorrow is too late. Third, find graceful accountability through a discipling relationship. I think Angie mentioned this earlier in worship. As she was talking about God's conviction. Like, we need to welcome the Holy Spirit's conviction. Yes, it can be painful at times. But here is what the truth of the Holy Spirit's conviction is. Number one, I can hear his voice telling me the areas in which I need to grow. So that's a win. And two, he cares enough about me to show me the things in me that are not like him so that I can get better. Not for my sake, but for the sake of those around me. And again, as we've talked about all morning, in a discipling relationship, a one-on-one discipling relationship, you build trust. You are living intimately You're living life together. And so you can have the capacity to say intensely hard things in a loving way because we know that that person is doing it the same way the Holy Spirit is because they care for us. And finally, preach the gospel to yourself daily. And I could leave it there, but I think that sometimes that phrase can be just a little too churchy. And so I want to break it down because it's not just, oh yeah, Jesus died for me, time to go to work. I think what it looks like to really preach the gospel to ourselves daily is to look at our lives, look at our testimony, look at the beginning, look at the middle, and look at where Jesus showed up. Because when I look, when I look down that road and I look back to where I was and then to where he has brought me because of him and not because of me, how can I then not extend that kind of grace to the people around me? I think that is what it means to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. Because the person next to me, they didn't earn it. They didn't deserve it, but neither did I. And that's not why I'm giving it. I'm giving it because that's what God has called me to do. So I've got some questions for you. So if you'd bow your heads, I'm gonna ask these questions. We'll have prayer partners that are down front. So if any of these questions you wanna wrestle with, but also, As we're navigating these questions, the intent is to really search internally, figure out, are there any of these things in me that I need help working out? Do you judge others based on where you are or where they are? Do you judge others based on where you think they should be? What unhealth do you need to be healed from so that it doesn't interfere with your grace toward others? Will you take time to measure your motives and intentions before bringing judgment to those around you? Who has held you lovingly accountable in the past, and how can you model that for others? How can you practice extending grace to yourself and others today? And then finally, when was the last time you deeply reminded yourself of what you've received from the gospel? Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your accountability. But I thank you that you give us your grace. Thank you that it isn't works based. Thank you that you loved us and cared for us enough to send your son in our place. And God, I pray as we walk out judgment and and difficult, hard conversations. As we walk out biblical conflict, God, would we have the humility to hear the hard things even when it's not done in the best way? And God, would we understand that there are times when we won't get it right, and that's the reason why we extend grace, because that's the kind of grace that we want when we don't get it right. And God, I pray that you would show us where we've replaced extending grace with judging others based on how good we think they are or how good we think they should be. We've replaced it. And God, I I pray that we would remember that we should replace it with how kind you've been to us. God, we love you. We thank you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.